Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. How amazingly special was that? Hunter is a, so blessed to have such a great family and such a great big brother in Jensen. I have a feeling those two are going to get into a lot of shenanigans as they grow up. So yes, please be praying for the Barry family. <laughs> I want to personally welcome you to Refuge. My name is Nikki, and if this is the first time that you are joining us, I really hope that we get a chance to connect. I'd love to meet you after service. Um, you can actually get a jump start on that. We have a connect card, and we would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and how we can reach out to you. If you want to have coffee with a pastor or if you need prayer, you can uh, take your phone out and scan a QR code that's up on the screen. Just let us know a little bit about who you are so that we can get to know you and welcome you into our community. And if you want to know a little bit more about who we are, we have a link that you can go to refugeoc.com weekly. And it has all of the things that you need to know about what's happening here at Refuge today and beyond. We have so many fun things planned this summer for our teens, for our families. We've got some beach baptisms coming up. We've got some pool baptisms coming up. We've got a camping trip coming up. And going to the weekly is the best way to find out how you can get involved in any of those things and more. And if you want to get involved through generosity, we have an easy way that you can do that as well. Brenton's going to tell you about a special project here in just a few moments. But if you would like to give to Refuge to go to places in Orange and all around the world, you can do that on your phone, you can do that online, or you can mail us an old-fashioned piece of paper that has a check. It's called a check. I don't know if you guys remember those, but those still exist. And we have a secure P.O. box that if you mail those to the address on your screen, it'll get to the right place. And But all money spends the same and goes to bless amazing people who are spreading the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ around the world and locally here in Orange. So I'm so excited that you guys are here. I want to again welcome you. I'd love to get to know you. So find me after service. Let's meet. Those of you online, let us know who you are in the chat and uh, let's welcome Brenton up back up on the stage. Thank you, Nikki. I did ask if it was okay for me to mention one thing that um, we just learned about as a church in the past couple of weeks, and it's been on the news everywhere we've seen it. Um, we see that things are beginning to open up back here in our land, um, but we also see how it's not in India. It's a way different story. The pandemic continues to spread pretty rapidly, 
and it is affecting a lot of the life there in India. So many people have lost their lives because of it. Now, we can think all that we want to think about it, but sometimes there's something about being connected as believers all across the world with what's happening. And a church like ours connects with a group of churches in our country, but also around the world. And we got an email this past week that said we actually have the opportunity to do something for the people of India. I don't know about you, but there are times that I read things in the news and I don't know what my response is supposed to be. And I don't even know how to begin because it seems too vast and too big. But we just learned that obviously there's so much need medically, but also very specifically with food as well as with oxygen to attend to the needs of our brothers and sisters in India. And sometimes you're like, ah, oh, the, the price has got to be too great. How in the world can we do it? But because of efforts that are on the ground with our missionaries and local pastors in India, there have been an avenue and opportunity that we have to address what was needed in there. And so for $40, you can feed a family for a month. For $40, you can get an oxygen tank for a person who needs it. And for $6, you can refill that tank. So you're like, I don't know, I got six bucks. I got 40, perhaps you can take care of the whole thing. But we have designated some funds in our compassion fund here at Refuge to begin to help. And we would love to invite you to do that with us. And so there's a link that's on the screen. You can see it right there. If you go to refugeoc.com forward slash give, and there's a drop down link that will say compassion. And anything that comes in today will go towards what's happening in India and our response. Because in orange, we don't know what to do, but we can do this. And so I encourage you to join with us as we help our brothers and sisters in India. And with that, as you're turning, even if you have your phones out and you're jotting that, that website down, I encourage you to turn to your Bibles, these things that we open up each week here at Refuge. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's an app on your phone or your tablet or you brought one that has pages... I want you to turn to John chapter 17. If I were to do a pop quiz in the room and ask you a question like, do you remember the prayer that Jesus prayed? Many of you would probably jot down on your pop quiz, oh yes, we all know the Lord's prayer because it always begins the same. You've heard it in certain, certain contexts. Our Father, which art in heaven. And sometimes we just, like, the disagreement goes, is it trespassers or debtors? We don't know what to go with that one. But I'm going to talk to you today about a different prayer that Jesus prayed. And it's actually, some scholars would say, this is the real Lord's Prayer. It doesn't mean that what he prayed elsewhere and gave his disciples as a model was different or wrong. This is just the prayer that Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross. And the gospel writer in John in this chapter of 17, it's an entire prayer. And some people would say it's called the high priestly prayer because of the priests in the Old Testament and even those in the early days of Jesus' time would go on behalf of the people to the temple to worship for them on behalf of them and to pray prayers on their behalf because they can't address or come close to the Holy of Holies. And so Jesus is praying this prayer in this location and he is praying on behalf of his followers and the people. So this is the setting of the day. This is where we get ourselves in John chapter 17. Why is it important? Why is it important on this day, the seventh Sunday of Easter? I know you thought, you're like, hold on a second. Easter was a long time ago. We're done with all the bunnies and the chocolates. I know you are. Perhaps you might still have some lingering signs in your house. You should get rid of them because summer's almost here. It doesn't look like it outside, but it's here. What do we do with Jesus' words here in John chapter 17 when he's praying this high priestly prayer. So I want to read through it with you and just point out a few things that I find just utterly fascinating. 
So John chapter 17, we begin in verse 6, not because we don't care about verses 1 through 5, just we're going to begin in verse 6, okay? Here we go, verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And remember, Jesus is praying, so it's his words. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I have For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Side note, he's referencing Judas. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. By the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There's a lot going on. It seems like Jesus is meandering all over the place. And at first glance, it's tough to get our setting of the day. There's a picture that I put even with like the verse references and I loved it because it's a picture of this guy holding a phone and you can see what's happening behind the phone but sometimes we're always stuck in the picture that I'm trying to take with my phone and I rarely am observing of what's happening beyond that because there's so much more than what I'm focusing in on and if I could appear into this passage in John chapter 17 verses 6 through 19, I see at face value what Jesus is saying but I don't know the setting of it. It's just before he goes to the cross. So yes, we are after Easter, we're seven weeks after Easter, but we're still remembering what it is that Jesus did on that day as he was heading towards the cross, his commitment to the Father's sendness to him, and his commitment to what God wanted to portray to the people. But why would he pray in these ways? What is it that he's trying to get at? So there's a few things, five of them, and I hope I stay with what is going to show up on your screen I want to reference back to what has just been said in this passage. But right out of the gate, we get a sense that Jesus shows us what God is like. So there's this phrase in verse 6 that says, Jesus is talking, he says, "Um, I have revealed you. And again, he's talking to God, but as he's talking, and we read these words later, Jesus has revealed God. What does that even mean? Some passages and some translations would say he's revealed God's name. 
You're like, what does that mean? Step back from that for a second. We like the understanding of Jesus reveals God if we're like, that's what God is like. But we also want to understand, what did Jesus talk about? He's revealed God's name. Do you remember the statements that Jesus would say? Perhaps you've read some scripture and you have some familiarity. And Jesus had these phrases. I am the way. And he would say things like, I'm the bread of life. I'm the truth. And they all begin with this prefatory phrase of I am. The I am-ness of Jesus points to the I am-ness of who God is. Now, go with me on this. I'm not making up scripture here, and I'm not trying to misconjugate language as funky as English is when you translate it from either Hebrew or Greek. But if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, there's this moment where Moses, who has left Egypt and comes across this bush that is burning, and has this moment, whether you see Charlton Heston or VeggieTales, I don't know which one you see, but he has this moment with the, the bush, and he doesn't know why it doesn't burn up, and God speaks to him, and God gives him a call. You're going back to Egypt. You're going to rescue my people. I have heard their cries, and Moses throws up all kinds of responses of, I can't do it. I don't speak good, and he's like, fine, I'll send Aaron with you, and then Moses just breaks it down, and he's like, okay, here's the deal, but when they ask, who has sent me, what am I supposed to say? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And if you're like me, and you read that portion in Exodus, you're like, I don't know if that clears it up. But you think about it. It's the I am-ness of who God is that gives us hope and a purpose because God has not forgotten his people. He didn't back there in Egypt. He leads them out of what they have been through. And the same thing is true with Jesus. The reason Jesus shows up on the scene is because God has not forgotten his people and he's going to give them a way out. And he says, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the bread of life. All these I am statements are the ways that Jesus reveals and shows us what God is like. All right. We head to the end of the prayer. We get this in verse 14. This thought occurred to me that we're not from around here. Jesus says this thing about, you know, they're not of this world. The world hates them. And he's having this internal conversation with God that we just happen to be privy to as John records this prayer. What is he getting at? There used to be a, um, a Christian clothing line a number of years ago called Not of This World. Perhaps you have one of them or you saw some bumper sticker or something, N-O-T-W, Not of This World. But the emphasis so often was, we're not from this place, we're getting out of this place. But I think that's a misrepresentation of what Jesus is trying to get at in this prayer. He's saying to us, they're not from around here. But we know what that's like. You go on vacation, if you've ever left this area, whether it's Orange County, I don't know if you've gone to a different state where they talk differently. It's super fun to go to the south they have that thing. It's called that southern twang. It's really amazing. And the moment that you show up as a Californian to the south, the people from the south are saying, you're not from around here, are you? Or perhaps go overseas to other countries you visited. You may not look like the, the people. You may show up and begin to act differently. And people are like, oh, where are you visiting from? You're like, was it that obvious? You're like, okay. We know what it's like to go to other cultures and countries and know exactly what it feels like when we're not from around here. And Jesus is calling out the not from around here-ness of who we are. But it's not from a place of you can't wait to get out of here and finally get to glory. 
It's from a place of saying, you're not from around here. And remind the world of where you're from. Remind the world of the kingdom that I'm calling them to. Remind the world of my justice and righteousness and my love. And perhaps the world will engage you differently. You're not from around here. And that's a good thing. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we don't look like who's from around here. And I don't think Jesus is all that upset about that. All right, my next thought for you is we are being made holy. This is right at the end of this passage in verse 19 where there's this phrase that's used called sanctification. Now go with me on this. We are being made holy is a weird phrase because there have been times where people have abused that phrase all too well and will show up and will be like, I'm a Christian and you should know that about me and I'm holy and I don't do that kind of stuff, all right? And people know that. I don't even know what voice that was. It just came to me in the moment. Sometimes it's helpful to talk in other voices. It just really clarifies things. But do you understand what Jesus is getting at when he says, Sanctify them as I have been sanctified. Sanctification is a process of moving towards holiness. And again, holiness is not always action-oriented. Meaning, I don't have to act holy for me to be holy. And some of you are like, oh, he's treading on dangerous territory right now. Go with me. Holiness is all about being set apart. Now, if you were to go to a church, there's probably churches in our area that you would go to, and they have these little basins where they have a thing called holy water. Perhaps you grew up going to church where they had holy water for blessing or sprinkling or whatnot. Now, this water doesn't taste differently. It's not from a different source. It's not necessarily cleaner, but it's holy water because it has been blessed and sanctified and set apart for a purpose. That's the sense of holiness and sanctification that Jesus gets at in his prayer. That our sanctification, while a process through our whole life, is also a realization that we have been set apart indifferently because we're not from around here, right? Yes, you know where you were born. Yes, you know where you live. You know where your house is. You know your culture, etc. But we're not from around here when we put on the calling of the kingdom. When we show our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers what the kingdom is all about. If God was serious about loving this world, apparently he's inviting us to the party where we get to love the world with him. So that's where we get the phrase, we're not from around here and we get to be holy. And again, not holiness from the vice of, I know what you did last night. You probably shouldn't be here. I'm not pointing at anybody directly. I should probably. Do you understand? Sometimes we put this like, I can't show up at church. I can't deal with God until I get myself cleaned up. And while there's a sense of cleanliness and process of sanctification in our lives, there's also a sense right from the get-go that we have been set apart for a purpose. Not set apart so we act holier, set apart because we got... We got tickets to backstage or we get tickets that get us to heaven instantly or anything like that. We are set apart for a purpose to love this world the way that God loves it. So my holiness is not from how I act, per se. It's more from 
my realization that I have been set apart to love this world. God is inviting me. Jesus' words tell me that I get to love the world like he does. We are sent to the world. This comes to us at the end of the prayer as well. And Jesus says it quite specifically in verse 18. If you notice, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This goes against every sense of theology that goes out there that says, if you accept God, if you believe in who Jesus is, then one day you get out of here. That is not the point. I am not trying to get out of here one day. When we talk about God in this place, when we talk about Jesus and his kingdom, it's not to get to heaven one day. Heaven is real, but it's not the final destination. Perhaps you've heard me say that around here a few times. The whole point of this thing is God has sent us to the world. So if we're not from around here and we look differently and we're holy because we're set apart for a purpose and we're being sent to the world, it's because God actually loves this world even in the ways that that song talked about a few minutes ago that we sang together. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, that the world would know it. But have you ever heard people say, I don't know if I can ever become a Christian. Because have you met a Christian? Right? I mean, I don't know what the version of that conversation has been with you before. But sometimes the moment people hear that you're a Christian, they're like, oh, just wait for the judgment to show up. And again, there's that voice again. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) Do you get it? When the Christian moves into your, your neighborhood, when the Christian shows up at that party, Sometimes people are like, oh, shoot, we got to turn that song off. We got to act differently, like whatever. Instead of understanding that I may not be from around here because I'm called and sent by God, but I'm sent on behalf of the king who lavished his love upon the world so desperately that he sends his son. That's the sentness of who we are. So wherever I go, whether it's on like the baseball field where my son plays, the schools that my kids go to, to the moments I have here at this place and the work that we do in this city, all around the world, wherever I go, I get a chance to show off who God is because I have been sent. And it's not me because I'm a pastor. It's me because I have said I want to be a follower of God so much so that I want to show him off wherever I go. And I want to show his goodness off. And finally, the last thought from this prayer that I have for you is that we don't go alone. I don't know if you realize in verse 16, actually, it should have been verse 15, excuse me. It says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This phrase has haunted me all week long. Because when I read this at face value last week, I've read this passage before because like some of you have done those devotions where you read scripture, you check it off your list and you did it. Like I've moved past this part of scripture before and I had to do it this week because I knew this is where I was going to go in my sermon. I have been affected by that phrase that Jesus prayed to God that he would protect us from the evil one. And what I heard was that Jesus would protect us, God would protect us from everything that we face. And I'm thinking... Jesus, you're off your rocker. You have no clue. Do you even know what happened to the disciples, let alone us? Let's just think about the, think about the people that followed Jesus. Many of them had an end that looked like his. They were killed for the ways that we, they would believe. 
So part of me is like, oh, is Jesus only talking about them? Because if he was, he didn't do a good job of protecting them. And this is really hard at times because let alone your conversations with people out there who haven't hung out with a Christian in a long time or perhaps even given God a thought in a long time, the world is wondering, if God is so good, then why did these things happen? That's ultimately the question that each of us are asking. It's the problem of evil. It's that phrase that we have to deal with. And sometimes we're caught making up answers for God left and right. And then Jesus has the audacity to pray in this prayer that he would protect us. And every single one of us has stories where it seems that God hasn't. Or there have been things that have been done to us or moments or relationships or realities that we think that God should have protected us differently because I'm on his team. I've got the patch. I may even wear the piece of clothing that says I'm not of this world. And why is it that it seems like God has left me hanging? But then I had to realize that's not what Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying for protection from the evil one. And that changes everything. Because it does not mean that I get protected from things like cancer. It doesn't mean that I'm protected from death. It doesn't mean that I'm protected from all the things that each of us have dealt with and caused us to wonder and question our faith. But Jesus says, protect them from the evil one. Oh, I go to two places instantly at that phrase. I go to the writings of a guy named C.S. Lewis, and then I go to the writings of the Old Testament in a book called Daniel. C.S. Lewis wrote an amazing, probably novel would be the correct word, called uh, Screwtape Letters, where there's this dialogue between Screwtape, the elder demon, and his nephew and fledgling progeny, Wormwood. If you get nothing else, that should already hook you. There's someone called Wormwood? Yes, there is. It's in this book. Screwtape is a is a is experienced demon, and he's trying to give some instructions to his nephew Wormwood and saying, "Hey, here is how you need to here's how you need to act to trip people up left and right, and um, you're gonna have to use all the antics possible because he even has phrases like because the enemy is on the loose, and the enemy that Screwtape talks about is God." Because if the demons, again, this is fiction, but is it? If the demons are on the loose trying to pull me into the antics of the evil one, then that's what I need protection from. I need protection from the evil one. And if I remember what the evil one was supposed to do and sent even all the way back in the book of Genesis... You remember the first time that we encounter the evil one in the form of the serpent in the garden, and he tells lies. So Jesus does not protect us from the effects of this world. He protects us from the effects of the evil one. If we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm part of God's kingdom, that's the protection I need. But it's different than the thing that we think it should be. We often want it to be If I'm on God's team, nothing bad happens to me. And that's not true. Because that's not what was true for the disciples. That's not what was true for the early Christians. If you go to the book of Acts and you read about the account of Stephen, 
Stephen's the first martyr who gets stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus. So it doesn't mean just because I'm on God's team, then everything is fine in my life. But if I'm protected from the evil one, and I'm protected from the effects of the evil one on my mind, if he is always out to change my understanding of my identity, and if that gets changed, then the evil one has won. But if that doesn't get changed, and if I have the security of knowing that I'm God's child, I am his son, or for some of you in the room, I am his daughter, that changes everything, the ways that we approach it. Now, the book of Daniel. If you remember, I mentioned the book of Daniel back from the Old Testament. There's an Old Testament passage and story that we tell all the time to kids. It's about guys who are about to be burned in the furnace. And you're thinking, we tell this story to kids? Why do we tell that to kids? It's weird, right? But it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, already three weird names. You should look this story up as well. But Shadrach, and Aben- Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego are going to be sent into the fiery furnace of the king because the king doesn't like the fact that they don't bow down to worship him. And there's an interaction that happens between those three guys and the king. And they say to the king, our God is big enough to protect us and to get get us out of this. But even if he doesn't, We will not bow down to worship you. That's the protection from the evil one, the confidence that we carry as followers of the king. So that when we get the diagnosis that we weren't expecting, when we hear of the death of the relationship and that person in our lives that we weren't expecting, it means that we go through it with confidence because of the one who says, I will protect you from the effects of the evil one. It doesn't mean I will protect you from all that you encounter in this life. And if we were to be honest with one another, every single one of us has stories that has beat us up, that has kicked us to the curb, that has caused us to question, is God even real? But when Jesus prays, protect them from the evil one, that is exactly the prayer that we need. All right, one more story. I know we're almost out of time, and I apologize, but it all became exceedingly clear to me this week in my home on Thursday with my kids because... My, my wife decided to bring home a chick. Not what you're thinking. It's actually this animal that they had um, hatched in their classroom. She's a kindergarten teacher, and she has the weird idea, like, let's hatch chicks. And she's been doing this for years because she wants her kindergartners to understand the life cycles of the chicks. So they get the eggs, fertilized eggs that come in. they got to sit in the warmer, the incubator, the thing. And then eventually, hopefully... They hatched, but last Sunday we learned that there was a power outage for four hours, and you should have seen my wife. Last Sunday night she was tripping out because someone mentioned on Facebook that they lost power around the area of her school, and she's like, "My chicks." Okay, so she called the people that understand how this all works, and like four hours, not too bad. Maybe it'll just delay hatching for about a day or two. And hatching was supposed to happen on Tuesday, and it didn't. Tuesday goes by, and Rachel is unnerved she's like i don't know what to do we have 12 eggs no chicks oh my gosh so we go to that go to bed that night put my kids to bed and my daughter my youngest hannah says let's pray for the chicks and so we pray for the chicks the next day no signs of chicks it's a bad thing now it's getting worse like that's the day we're like a day delayed no chicks showed up okay my wife is on edge, so much so that at the end of the day, after school is gone, I mean, I don't know what you think teachers do, but they don't leave the moment like kids do. They still stay around, and sometimes crazy teachers 
like my wife, go back at night. She'd go back to like check on things, and there's like chicks. And then Wednesday night, there was one. He cracked the shell. <sighs> She's so excited. Thursday morning, there are six shells that have been cracked open. So six, that day that that entire class gets to watch these chicks come out, until Thursday afternoon, where they realize that one of the chicks that hatched can't use its legs. Exactly. I felt what you just said. So she's at, the, the chick is out of the egg. Put the chick inside. Um, um, I'm forgetting all the phrases. It's the thing where you put the, the chicks. There's like the hay, the feed, the... the no, not the incubator. The incubator's over here. It's this thing over here. It's like the, yeah, that thing. Okay, so the chick's over here. This room is supposed to be dried out. It's like the heat lamp. Everything's supposed to be like, oh, there's like warmth, and it's great, except for the one that has no use of its legs. That one is getting picked on by all the others. Yeah, exactly. We feel it. Yep. All right, so this one's getting like pecked at. They're like nipping at it, and you're like, you leave it alone. That one's dead. So... They can't leave it alone. They put it in its own special box. And my wife doesn't know what to do because if she leaves it overnight by itself, she wonders because it can't drink, it can't eat, will it live? So she brings the chick home Thursday night. And everything's fine and dandy because my kids get to hold the chick and everything because it doesn't need its use of its legs when you're holding it. I don't know if you've held a chick, but sometimes they're pretty cute. You just like, the little feathers, you like look closer and you're like, oh. Oh, little guy, you can do it. Like, let's see if you can walk. And like the moment you like let it down, it's like, woo, like falls over. So um, we uh, send my daughter upstairs uh, to like get ready for bed. She cry- she's um, taking her shower and she comes down because she knows that night when we go to bed, that chick may die. She may not make it. The, the, I don't know if it's a female or male. It may not make it. <sighs> it was a long Thursday night. She did not go to bed at her bedtime, my daughter, that is, because she could not be consoled that the chick wouldn't die that night. Like, I'm like wet, you want it like sloppy wet? That was what happened on Thursday night. I'm holding this 10-year-old on my lap, cradling her because she cannot imagine going to bed and then waking up the next morning, this chick is dead. Her heart is big. So I said, we got to go to bed. Let's pray for the chick. And she's like, all right, fine. So we go upstairs, say our prayers. And then she's, she says, she's, we're praying. Oh, this is so great. Um, what, what is so great about what kids say even in my home? Um, she's just like, and God, why did you make that chick? You know, like she's saying things. You're like, I know. That's what the rest of the world thinks too. That's exactly what they think about God. Let's just keep praying. So I'm keeping silent. All these things are happening in my head. And I say, Thank you, God, for the gift of life of this chick. We don't know how long. I'm just like praying the prayer that I'm supposed to pray as a dad slash pastor. And we get to bed and she goes to bed. So then I talk to my wife because this is where it really goes down. We're like, all right, so what's going to happen if this thing dies? What are we going to do? And she's like, well, you got to get up early. You got to make sure that that thing's out of the house if it's dead. She cannot wake up and see this thing flopped over dead. You're like, okay, good call. So I set my alarm early to get up to make sure that this chick it's not dead. I thought for sure this chick is going to be dead. So 5.30, I wake up, 
they're about they're going to wake up about 6:30 and say I figure I got time I can make like a little coffin if I have to we can have like a little funeral service on Friday before they go to school maybe put things together in their mind I wake up I come downstairs the heat lamp has been on all night and I hear a little choo 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 right and you're like wow this thing is alive no way amazing but it's still not walking you're like I don't know how long this is going to last what are we going to do she wakes up earlier than normal because she knows that there's a chick that's on the verge of death so hannah comes downstairs she's like it's still alive you're like i know how does this happen and she's like i woke up in the middle of the night came down and checked on it and i was like you did what she's like you know i got up because i used the restroom and i came downstairs checked on the chick and so then my wife we come down so like oh what's our plan we can't take this chick back to school put it in like the mayhem of the masses of the world because they're going to kill it. So my wife's like, well, let's take it back to the store that we got the eggs from. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Let's do that. So we get this, like, separate box. We put the chick in. Again, it's, like, flopped over because it has no use of its legs. I get in the car. My wife's like, hey, make sure that the car's warm because it's the chick and there's no heat lamp in your car. I'm like, warm? What are you talking about? I am not putting the heat on for the life of me in my car. Do you see it snowing outside? Neither did I. Okay, so I get in the car and I drive to this place here in Orange. It's up Chapman Avenue. If you want to go see this place, it's all the way up in the hills. And I take it to the place where we got these eggs from, and I, I bring it in, and I'm holding it. I bring it in. And they're like, oh, this happens sometimes. Let, can we take it? And I'm like, yes, please do. They take it, and they're like, We'll have our team work on it, and it'll, maybe we're just like, you know, living with like wonderment. And that was it. So I call my wife, who's about to like teach her class, because she's got to tell the kids that they saw the, the, the one that hatched that didn't have use of his legs, and especially put my daughter on a, like a peaceful moment before she begins her school day. I'm like, I was able to take the chick to the fixer. The fixer's going to fix it. And here's the deal. I, I, to this day, I don't know. I mean, it's only been like three days. To this day, it's been a long story. <laughs> Not as long as it's been to tell this, by the way. I told her, I said, we took it to the fixer. I don't know the result of that, but that put my daughter at ease. And I read this prayer, and the calling that we have to realize that we're not from this world, but we're here to love this world, that we're sent to the world. We're not here to get out of this world. And we know the king, we know God, and he's not going to abandon us, and he's actually instilled us with his holiness, his set-apartness to love this world. And sometimes the world needs to know where the fixer's at. If I can draw the connection to this story this week for you, is that I, you, we know who the fixer is. And sometimes there are people in our lives that need to be shown the direction to where he is. I need the fixer. It meant so much to my daughter on Friday that the chick was going to be fine in the fixer's hands. Because I'm telling you, the tears that she shed on Thursday night were so real. And I'm sure the tears that each of us have shed at moments in our lives have been so real, and we need to be reminded where the fixer is at. And you and me, as followers of the king, 
we get to show off and show forth God's presence as a reminder of who the fixer is. Because he's still in the business of fixing things. Doesn't mean it gets fixed all the ways that we think it should be fixed, because many of us have said things like, well, if I was God, I would do it differently. And that's exactly why you and I are not God. Because we don't always get how he works. But I get to take this chick. I get to take my kids at times. I get to take people in my life. I get to take people from this church and show them who the fixer is because he's good and able and amazing and awesome and kind. Part of this whole week preparing this sermon has been, what would I tell Hunter, who we just dedicated, what would I want him to know about God? For the rest of his life, if he gets anything right, what would I want Hunter to get? That he can always go back to the fixer. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you for the prayer that you prayed back in John chapter 17. It is a hopeful prayer for each of us on this day. Because it shows us your love and your commitment to your followers. Of which we get to be the beneficiaries. We, even in 2021, stand in the legacy of what you did a couple thousand years ago, but you are still doing. It is the active power of your presence in your kingdom, alive and at work in our world today. That we, your people, get to show off how you love this world. We, your people, get to remind this world where the fixer is. May you still be in the business of fixing things this week. And for those in this room who have something out of control and broken, would you meet them where they're at? And would you do your good work in their lives? Would you protect each of us from the effects of the enemy, the evil one who is out to destroy? But we are held safe in your hands because of how you love us. Oh, how you love us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Worship finally with our worship team before we dismiss this morning. You called my name. You called my name. And I ran out of the grave. Out of the darkness. Into your glorious day. You called my name.
go today, remember you have been sent. You've been sent by a God who realizes that you're not from this place because you look differently, you act differently, you talk differently. But it's because we get, give the world a chance for hope. May you remind them of how much he loves. And may, when you need it, remind the world where the fixer is. Peace be with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week here at Refuge. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.